Welcome to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive, featuring conversations with performing artists and industry influencers on what it takes to succeed in the arts. I am your host, Diane Foy, and I believe that you really can make a living from your creative talents. As a publicist, podcaster, and coach, my mission is to educate, motivate, and empower you to thrive with authenticity, creativity, and purpose. Hello, and welcome to episode number 11 of Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. My guest today is singer-songwriter Mark Jordan. With numerous ASCAP, Juno, SOCAN, and Smooth Jazz awards to his credit, Mark's work has appeared on some 35 million albums. Just letting that sink in there for a second, 35 million. He's written for and with Diana Ross, Chicago, Kenny Loggins, Bette Midler, Natalie Cole, Olivia Newton-John, Joe Cocker, Bonnie Raitt, Josh Groban, Cher, Rod Stewart, including the number one hit Rhythm of My Heart, and currently for Stewart's upcoming album, and his wife, singer-songwriter Amy Skye. Mark has just released his first album in six years, called Both Sides. It is a collection of chilled-out, romantic, contemporary jazz arrangements of popular songs by some of his favorite composers, along with previously unreleased original compositions. We had a lovely conversation about songwriting, the music industry, and his other creative outlet of painting. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. When you look back at your career, what highlights stand out to you most? Well, it's, it's when people said yes. And I think that's, that's something that uh, when you're young, you don't really understand that it only takes one or two or three people in, in your life, really, to say yes. Most people will say no. Most people won't get what you do. Right. Especially if you're original. And you should be original. So, it's two things. It's sort of human nature not to stick your neck out. Like, I'm, I'm talking about record companies and, and people like that. People who you need to further your career. It's easier for them to say no to you because then they don't, then it's not on them if it fails. And, um, so it kind of gets, it, it's a little bit, not, not depressing, but it's it sort of, it's hard at the beginning because nobody wants to be that first person who will stick their neck out and say, you're great and I'm going to help you. So you got to find that person. That's hard. And you have to have a thick skin to accept all those no's. That's right. But, but that, that's the, you have to remember your product is you when you're in the media or what, in music or if you're an actor or dancer, your product is you. So you don't have that sort of buffer between you and 
some other thing that you're trying to promote or sell. Like if you were if you were selling coffee or something, it would be different. Yeah, if pe- if people don't like it, it's not you personally. That's right. They're not saying no to you. They're saying, well, just I don't really love this, but it it's, it's but when it's when it's art. It's, it's a bit more personal, and that's what makes it hard. But it's worth it because it's important. Who is your first big yes or important yes? Well, it was a, a very important first yes, and his name was Doug Huck. And he, he lived in the, out west, uh, just in Edmonton. He was the first guy I said, I like your songs. I would like to publish some of your songs. And uh, he did. He published some, and then he scraped some money together, and he, he made a record out in Vancouver. And it didn't do very well, but, but we were sort of feeling our way, and I was really young. Uh, and then um, the CBC, it, it, years ago, they used to have a, a thing where they would bring you into the studio and they would wait, make what was called transcription records. So they would record you and then they would play the recordings on their all their, you know, all their different uh, stations all over Canada. So it was, number one, it was great learning in the studio and then you got exposure across Canada. So it helped you tour and stuff. And then I took those, uh, or my manager took those recordings and went to LA and uh, immediately got a deal. You come from a musical family. What kind of music was around your house when you were a kid? Everything. My dad was a classical singer, classically trained. Uh, but he loved, he loved any music that he thought was good. And in fact, his favorite and this helped me later on in life. His favorite music was maritime folk music, even though he was like a classical guy. So um, we had those, you know, those maritime folk songs from the 40s and 50s around the house playing all the time. So that really, you know, everything is an influence. It comes from the strangest places. So when Rod Stewart, you know, was looking for for a song, he kind of has a little bit of that maritime folk thing crossed with kind of American R&B, but it's it's sort of a hybrid what he does. And I so so I knew the idiot pretty well, and I I knew what he was. Good training ground. Yeah. What was it that made you decide that this was going to be your career? Or was it just always something that that was it? That was what you're going to do? Well, I'm very dyslexic, so I wasn't a very good student. But I thought, no teenager wants to do what their dad does, really. You got to rebel. You got So uh, I thought, oh, well, I'm not going to be a music guy. So I I thought I'd go into film because I love film. And I, I, I did. I studied it at Brock University for a couple of years. But then, um, you know, Brock University has this, ha, ha, has this tower. It's right across the lake from 
Toronto has a tower, and, I, and up on the top of the tower is, is the library, and I'd be up there every night looking at Toronto and going, geez, all my friends are there playing music. They're all in bands. And, you know, it was the flowering of Yorkville and all that music that came out of Toronto. And uh, so I quit school and joined a band and hit the road. Played Creedence uh, Clearwater Revival songs, stuff like that. So your new album is called Both Sides, and there's a lot of cover songs. So f- I'm interested in, for such an amazing songwriter, what made you do cover songs? Well, there, there's a couple of uh, that I wrote on there, but they're songs I've always wanted to do. And it's a bit of an homage to my dad, because a lot of these songs I grew up with, Although there's a very eclectic mix, there's everything from uh, Hoagie Carmichael to uh, Lou Reed. And when I approached uh, Luke Monty, who, who produced the record, he said, well, well, let's find an orchestra. We, we, we decided to go with the Croc Symphony. They're a wonderful orchestra. We did about a 60 or 70 piece. And it was a thrill for me. Were you in the room with all those musicians? Well, no, but it felt like it because what you do is you, we did the bed tracks in Toronto with drums, bass, and piano, and, and a rough vocal. Then you send that to Prague with click tracks and uh, the score, and uh, then you tie line it into the studio. So you're, you're virtually there. I mean, you see everybody, you can talk to everybody on a, on a big screen. So it's almost like you're there. Right. It's just you know, half a second uh, later. And it was, uh, it was, uh, it was amazing. It just, they, they were so good and they, they, they did it quickly and it sounded beautiful. And we did the same thing with Misha Bruder Gosman. We sang on, uh, calling you. And, uh, she was in Banff and we did the same thing with her. We timeline into the studio and, and uh, we were in Toronto she was a band I love that version of Calling You that you did it's so beautiful oh my god what a voice she is yeah yeah it's such a great song it is I always remember Holly Cole doing that one that's right that's right Holly yeah it's a beautiful unconventional song as is uh, you know walking the wild side yeah such a strange document. So maybe pick a couple songs that are on the new album and explain what makes them a great song. Well, okay, let's talk about uh, let's talk about walking along. To me, it's always a combination: the right voice with the right song at the right moment in time. But what Lou Reed did. In that song was, and I, I don't think he did it on purpose, but that song is the connective tissue between beat poetry from the 40s and 50s in New York and hip hop. That's right in the middle of the two. It wasn't, wasn't sung, it wasn't spoken, it was somewhere in between. How Lou Reed did it. 
and it's uh, not slick. It's rough, and it and it it just says New York, you know, in the sixties and seventies. It it it's uh, it's a document about how things were at that moment in time, and it it's like a movie. So that is what makes it a great song for me. And what about both sides? I think Both Sides Now is one of the most beautiful songs ever written. I remember hearing Joni Mitchell sing that song when she was maybe in 20 years old, in her high voice. And I loved the song then. And then I heard she did it again with the London Symphony Orchestra at Vince Mendoza arrangement. And her voice was, you know, when she was maybe in her 70s, and her voice was deep and a bit world weary and had a lot of nuance to it. And this is a woman who has seen a lot of life. And the song changed for me. It was about, it became deeper and, and more resonant much more meaningful. So that is the hallmark of a great song. Song that, depending on who's singing or or how it's being produced, can bring something extra, bring something new every time you hear it with a different artist. I also think that song could never have been written today because uh, looking at clouds from, from a plane. Nobody looks out the windows anymore. We're all on our phone or computer or watching a movie. Or <laughs> and we put the shade down because we don't want the glare on the screen. You know, but you're missing a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in the sky. It's cool. There are clouds, and there's sun on the clouds, and there's rain, and there's sunsets, and there's starlight, and there's little towns that twinkle like jewelry on the black earth. There's the crazy quilt of farms in the Midwest in the day. You know, I still think flag is a miracle. I always try to look out the window because I just think it's fascinating. I see a new world in a different way. So what, what inspires your songwriting? Is it something different every time? Money. Money. We both laugh. What inspires? I'm um, driven to write. Do you write every day? I write every day. I do. I feel so lucky to have music in my life and to have been able to make a living at it. I love it. It completes me. It allows me to say things that maybe I would otherwise say. I love. I also love to sing, and I also love to go out and do concerts. I got a bunch coming up in May. You know, when I was young, I didn't enjoy it so much because it was all about it was all about me up there. I realized pretty quickly that. It's not about me at all. It's about people that come to see you. 
and it's about what they get, and it's about that two-way communication between the sender and the listener. And uh, it's a wonderful thing. It's a a great gift I get from the audience, and I hope they get some from me as well. But I do do love it, and I love the people, and they're so generous. You're in a bit of a a songwriter supergroup now. How did that come about? You know, Murray uh, McLaughlin, the we used to have these lunches at Alan's restaurant on the Danforth here in Toronto. And we were sitting around having lunch here. And he, he had been asked to do a songwriter circle for, for some event that he, he doesn't like doing. So well, I'll do it if I can have Mark and Ian and Cindy. And so he brought it up for lunch and he said, yeah, we'll do it. And we were going to just do one. There was an agent in the audience and he said, do you want to do three more? Because we play like a band. It's not like a songwriter. So we play, everybody plays with everybody else. So I get to be a sideman on Cindy Murray and Ian stuff. And it's great. You know, you get a, a deeper appreciation for other people's music when you're a sideman. Yeah, and I guess you see other people interpreting your songs, too. Yes, exactly. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's it's a lot of fun. And we wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun. And, uh, you know, Murray and Ian are very funny. And uh, we've all been doing it a long time, so we all have stories. And uh, it's very cool. So what, what comes first to you when you're songwriting? Is it the lyrics or the melody? Um, they they kind of come together. And I'll tell you why. Because melody is language. The first language was this. People beating on trees. Saying, I'm here. And then I guess they started chanting over that. The language was born. But the melodies they were chanting were as much language as the words that came after that. And in a way, rhythm is the language too. So the, the trick with writing a great song is saying the same thing in words that the melody is saying in melody. You have to say the same thing, and then it, it, it doubles the power. So that's what I try to do. I try to listen to what I'm singing. I sing all sorts of crazy things, and as soon as I sing something that suggests a word or a phrase or an idea or an emotion, I write it down. That's, that's how I get started. Do you ever get writer's block? I used to. I know that anymore. You know, when I was in LA, because I was working, I you know, for a long, long, many years, I was a staff writer for Warner Chapel in, in Hollywood, and uh, and then Geffen 
publishing as well. And then back to work. So I was writing, you know, it was a lot of pressure actually sometimes. And uh, <laughs> so if I ever had writer's block, my trick was I would put on, in those days it was cassettes, right? I would put on a Joni Mitchell cassette, put it in my car, and drive through the hills at night. When I came back in an hour, writer's block was usually good. She's so, I mean, she's so brilliant. She's a genius for sure. And I just get ideas. Is there a song that you've written that stands out as you have great satisfaction of completing because it was a struggle to write? Yeah. You know, there was a song actually that I forget what the original title was. The original title was Amazon. And it became burning down the Amazon. And that was a three-year period it took me to get there. And I wrote it with my writing partner, John K. Peck, in L.A. And it was started off to be about the Amazon, just about vastness and emptiness. But right around that time, there was a they elected a, a guy who was who uh, wanted to burn out big chunks of the Amazon and make a farm. He became the president of the country there. And so people were, you know, I mean, the Amazon is where a lot of the oxygen comes from on the earth. It's, it's really the lungs of the planet. So it takes takes in carbon and spits out oxygen. So, you know, a lot of protests going on. So I changed the song to Burn It Down in the Amazon. We recorded it at the Capitol Studio in Hollywood and a lot of people said, certainly we are the girl for the Amazon. Was there a song that just came so easy to you that just flowed out? Marina Del Rey was the fastest song I ever How long did it take? Under an hour. That song just came to me. But I, you know, I'd seen that I just got to LA when I wrote. And I, on the way to the hotel, I saw the, I saw a sign along the highway that said, next exit, Marina Del Rey. And I went, oh, what a cool just stuck in my brain. I went to the hotel and I wrote it. Do you write better on your own or when you're collaborating with other songwriters? I used to write on my own all the time, but I, I got too lonely. I remember thinking I'd been in my house for three weeks and I hadn't seen anybody. I was lonely. I was in L.A., just look, I didn't know that many people. So that's when I started co-writing, and I'm glad I did because it was better for me. Do you do any of those sessions where it's like, you know, five writers in a room, or is it more of a, a duo thing? Duo thing. I never did the uh, five writer thing. Or 20 with Beyonce's songs. 
anybody in the room. No, you had to be a contributor, and I, I had, you know, people I worked with, uh, you know, four or five, three or four, really, people I worked with all the time. Are there any newer artists or songwriters out now that you kind of think, oh, wow, they have something really special? I was just going to say I'm nepotistic, and maybe it is, right? My son and daughter will be back. My daughter was a national Sky Jordan, Ezra Jordan. My boy in East Harlem charts now in, in the, the States. And they're just doing it themselves, you know. It's, it's so much harder now. Because you got to do everything yourself. And um, there isn't the infrastructure there was because there isn't the immediate cash there was in the industry when I was starting. And it was just worth more. Yeah, now you have to raise your own funds for the recording and everything. They used to give you a bit of dough so you could just do what you do. Not the only thing I can do is play guitar and piano and write songs. So instead of having to do promotion and this and that, blah, 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 road managing, booking, and they gave me a little bit of money just to rent a pad and I could uh, do what I do. So it was, that was good. Yeah, that I find working with artists now, that's their dream, but yeah. we always have to kind of go, okay, but the reality is, if that's all you want to do, good luck with that. <laughs> it's hard because, as you say, you got to do all those extra things, but it, 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 it's slowly changing and it'll change. In what way? I, I think the, the streaming rate will go up. It just did, in fact, writing it. I think the, the, you know the, there's a lot of money in the system. It's just going to the wrong people. I know record companies grab a lot of it, and uh, the, the the creators don't get enough of the pie. In some ways, because you the artists are doing everything themselves, I guess the theory is that they will get a bigger part of the pie because there's no other people involved. But it makes it hard to begin. Yeah. Because you have to learn all about marketing and the business of the industry. What advice do you give your children about navigating the entertainment industry? They know more about it than I do now. They've been around it. They've been around it. They know. They they know what to do. But it's just I as a as I'm watching it, I realize it, it's hard. Listen, it was hard in my day for different reasons. There, there were things that were very tough. So every Generation has their their ups and downs, but I just think it's a little bit out of whack right now. I don't think the royalty system is is quite right yet, and uh, I think uh, the artists need to get a little more. The industry is still generating bucket loads of money. It's just it's not trickling down fast enough to to the kids that are making it. What do you think will it take to? Make a change. Well, uh, you got to lobby Congress. You got to lobby the government in Canada and in Europe. It, it, it's they, they just 
changed it. The, the, the royalty rate in Europe has gone up quite a bit. They've done, done it in the, the States. The, uh, I think Spotify is fighting it. I'm not 100% sure, but there is some pushback um, on the corporate side. But uh, it'll happen. It'll happen. Because culture is too important to, uh, to let, you know, just anybody with a laptop uh, make, a, make a record or make a music. It, it needs to be the, the, the best and the brightest need to be supported. We need to be able to make a living. And so you're a painter now, too. How long have you been doing that? I always painted in my head. I've been doing it about five years now, six years. And uh, I always soften in a painterly kind of way. But I don't, I, I, like, I, I don't really call it painting. I call it flat music. And uh, I'm not like a school painter. But I do abstracts. I also do, I have a big canoe series, canoes, because I, I love the, the, I think they're the perfect technology. And I, there's something about the shape that I love. I love Canada and I love lakes and the heritage of it. So I, I do, I paint a lot of uh, lakes and canoes, but I also do a lot of abstract, kind of cute, cubist. Instruments. And Do you see your songs visually? Yeah, I see them. Then filmmaking may have been your calling too. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 yeah, I developed a visual thing because I, I was very bad at the other, like reading and following rules and learning. It was hard for me because I didn't really understand. Do you write music for film as well? I have, yeah. I'm actually the chair of the uh, songwriting department at the Canadian uh, Film Center, Roman Joseph's. And I uh, help with uh, kids that, that are writing songs uh, for, for film. So I have done a fair amount of it. I've done a lot of songs. How do you help uh, new Songwriters, are you teaching them songwriting or giving them guidance, or is it more of a mentorship? I talk to them about songwriting. I don't help them with individual songs. I listen to what they've done, and I I make pithy comments designed to make them into changes. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, I assume. <laughs> well, there's a built-in thing with writing for film, and that is directors tend to be word people, tend to be readers, and not listeners. What I found, Norman Jewison was one of the exceptions, as is uh, Scorsese. He gets music in a big way. But uh, a lot of uh, directors won't even listen to the music read it. Because, you know, a lyric isn't a poem. It's not a novel. 
it's not a poem. It's something combined with the melody that creates meaning. So yeah, it was. Right. So they just read the lyrics and not. Uh, often, yeah. But how do you visualize that in a scene? Yeah. So what's next for you? Well, I have some. I have some concerts coming up in May. In uh, Canada, around Ontario. Yeah. You want to hear them? Sure. We're going to be at the Meridian Theater in Ottawa on May 2nd, on May 4th. We're at the Graham Theater in Kingston. And on the 5th of May, uh, the Gaiety Theater in Collingwood, the 6th. We're at the Roxy in Old Sound and uh, Peterborough on the 8th at the Market Hall. Wealth on the 9th of May, the River Run, and uh, the last one is. Uh, at the Regent Theater in Oshawa on May 10th. Cool. And I always ask my guests, what is your why? Why do you do what you do? I'm compelled to do it. And I love doing it. It fills a need inside me. It's a little bit how I communicate with the outside world. And uh, it's something I can do that I love. And my dad always said, do something you love. It's good. Is there anything that you haven't done that you still kind of have as a future goal? Uh-huh. Well, I keep doing what I'm doing. You know, I've had number one hits. I've had, I've played big theater, but I don't know. I, I, I just, uh, just keep on keeping on. That's amazing. How big a part is painting to your life? Well, like you write every day. Do you paint every day? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Maybe not every day, but I, I, I would, I, I would say I'm in the studio seven days a week, creating something. Yeah. When I used to take a break from music, like say I worked all morning and have lunch and maybe take an hour off. Well, that, that hour now, I go into my painting studio because it really is relaxing. And then uh, I go back to the studio. And I work. I would imagine that both would inspire the other. I think so. I think so. I think that's why I call it flat music because for me, it, it's very much music. You know, it's balance and it's color. Have you ever painted one of your songs or wrote a song to one of your paintings? No, I have. I've never done that. Yeah, I think I set your goal. (laughs) Something you haven't done yet. (laughs) Things to do. It seems like if they inspire each other, that could be a really cool thing. Be a cool art show, art and music show. Yeah. Well, I have have done that. I have, uh, you know, art shows where I've gone concerts sometimes. Cool. So any parting words of wisdom? Well, I would say that everybody knows in their heart if that if you know people that are doing music if if they can stick it out when the time gets hard then 
times get hard. Even when you're successful, there are hard times. So, if you love it that much, do it. Do it because it, it is a wonderful way to spend a life. And, uh, the life that you're communicating with people. There's very little that's better than that. Where can people find you online? Are you on social media? Yeah, it's markandmarkjordan.com. It's all wonderful. Well, that's all I have for you. Thank you for t- spending the time. Thank you so much. I was fascinated talking to Mark and could listen to him for hours. However, I kind of ran out of things to ask him. Maybe because I'm not a songwriter. I would, I'm more of a fan, so I would be like, so what's Olivia Newton-John like? <laughs> what's Bette Midler like? Yeah, that's not the show. Anyways, um, so I'd love to have him on again sometime, and maybe I can invite questions from you aspiring songwriters. For detailed show notes and links, visit dianfoy.com slash 011. Thanks for listening to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. Be sure to join the mailing list at dianefoy.com to gain access to exclusive bonus content, a weekly newsletter, and an invitation to our private Facebook group of purpose-driven performing artists and industry influencers.